Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome back, everybody, from bye week number two for Notre Dame here in 2023. It's Monday, November 13th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We are joined today by John Bryce of Football Scoop and a member of the Irish Illustrated staff as well. We've invited JB to join us to talk a little Notre Dame football, but also to discuss the uh, the Michigan situation with Jim Harbaugh, him, Jim Harbaugh missing the game on Saturday against Penn State uh, suspended for two more games unless they get an injunction, right, JB? We, we brought JB in because Football Scoop has been all over this on top of this. John himself has been involved with it. And so um, we're going to talk about that. Before we get to that, let's talk a little Notre Dame football, though. We just came from Marcus Freeman's press conference, and there were some announcements regarding injuries. If you uh, haven't checked out our instant analysis, we covered this as well. But Rocco Spindler will be lost for the balance of the season with a knee injury that occurred in the second half of the Clemson game. Um, do we know, and it's already been asked, the severity of that knee injury, guys? Have, is, it, is it an ACL or is it something less? Working to confirm, uh, it's been indicated it was a ligament, but we're working to confirm exactly which one. But the, the fact that uh, mandated surgery already lets you know that um, Spindler's going to be out a little bit longer than just the, the final few weeks of this season and bowl prep. Yeah, it's a tough break for him because, um, you know, this is not two terrible games to miss here for Rocco Spindler in terms of Notre Dame's fortunes with Wake Forest and Stanford. But just his development, uh, you know, people want to want to write a guy off because he wasn't fantastic. Well, he needed a whole year to get it under his belt to be, try to become the best player he could be. And he's this was the first of three years starting in, in terms of Spindler's hopes for Notre Dame. So. He'll have a little bit of a battle here in the offseason. He already had a battle on his hands because Billy Schroth was only going to get better. Pat Coogan obviously got better in the last calendar year. And the emergence of Ashton Craig for me at center makes it all the more likely. And I, I we pushed back on this a few times that anybody else would move to center because they like Ashton Craig at center. Tim Priester, they told you that well over a year ago. And I guess the only surprise was that Andrew Kristoffic briefly beat him out this year because he he did get in ahead of him twice. Yeah, I just think that, you know, fifth-year guy, they want to put him out there. He had some experience. He had dabbled a little bit. I mean, Christophic had dabbled a little bit at center, and so they went in that direction. Uh, but, no, Ashton Craig is somebody that has been talked up to me since early last season about what he had done on the practice field. The problem is they, they're next year they're going to have too many interior offensive linemen Yes. That appear to be among the best of the best on the offensive line. So, including uh, the right tackle as an offensive lineman interior candidate that would be the best one, possibly. Yeah, probably. But because of the makeup of that 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 room, he probably stays a tackle. Whether it's yeah. right or left, we'll we'll see about that. But uh, you know, finishing up on injuries, Zeke Carell left the Clemson game uh, with a concussion. He still is in con- concussion protocol. And I don't want to read too much into what, what what Marcus Freeman said today when the media gathered with him, but it, it kind of sounds like 
If Christoffic has recovered, then he's in the running with with Ashton Craig to start at center. But it, it kind of sounds to me like Correll will not not be available uh, this weekend. You know, you, you like I think we've kind of come under the assumption that oh, concussion. Okay, he'll miss one week and then be back the next. But it isn't always so tidy and so convenient. Other injuries: uh, Luke Tellich, the the impressive walk on that's been a part of Notre Dame's. Coverage teams most of the season suffered a broken collarbone uh, in in practice last week, and so he is out. And then Matt Salerno, who's been out since uh, since game was that one or two? He got hurt two. in uh, well, not game one. He got hurt in South Bend. Uh, yeah. It was two or three. I can't recall if it was, it was TSU two. or Central. Yeah, yeah, it was two, and he's been out with a broken leg since then. And um, Marcus Freeman sounded like Salerno would be back, maybe not this week, but but by next week. Um, certainly. And so that comes a little bit late for what Nordane has been looking for at, at wide receiver, but uh, good to have Matt Salerno back guys, anything else from uh, today. And we talked about on instant analysis, but just chime in on some of the stuff that, that Marcus Freeman discussed with the media today. I wanted to chime in on this during instant analysis, the Matt Salerno, the possible return of Salerno. I mean, we are talking about guys that someone's missed two and a half months. And and the big thing for Matt Salerno is he's reliable and a guy that Sam Hartman can trust. He's not coming in and becoming a difference maker against Wake Forest and Stanford. Like it could really help in the bowl game, but I, I don't want to overplay Salerno's return. I think people underplay the loss of Salerno, but him showing up and all of a sudden making a bunch of plays, he needed a whole season too to become a player with Matt, with Sam Hartman. This is just one more guy you can trust because it seems like when you're reading the tea leaves, Jaden Thomas just isn't right with the hamstring situation. It's been uh, such a lingering situation, and again, they thought he was back and then re-aggravated it um, very late in the process going into Clemson uh, and just could not become a factor. Uh, the significance of Salerno is that, again, that's a very depleted wide receiver core that didn't have adequate depth to begin with, so right. um, any Matt Salerno is good Matt Salerno because it's another healthy body or healthier body for Notre Dame's uh, pass-catching group. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is something I talked about during the summer, during the preseason. Salerno's value really would come out when surrounded by Notre Dame's other best receivers yeah. on the field. I, I, you know, I felt like Hartman would develop a chemistry with Salerno because he would be a guy that he could count on and trust to be where he needs to be and when he needs him to be in a spot to, you know, to be a, a release throw for him and. They just never got to that point. I agree with you, Tim. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to catch seven balls for 85 yards all right. of a sudden, but he was a guy that would have given some comfort zone to to, to Sam Hartman, who, who pretty much has lost uh, with the, with the injury to Mitchell Evans. He's pretty much lost any any comfort zone that he had with with any of Nordy's pass catchers. Yeah, and I think he's probably developing it with Jordan Faison, but let's go back to the Matt Salerno point. Look, I think Jordan Faison is better than Matt Salerno as a weapon, but Tim, you want to talk about a guy that needs more good players around him. Jordan Faison shouldn't be the number one wide receiver for Notre Dame football either, but he sure is trending that way right now. That It's the same thing as Mitchell Evans after the Ohio State game, and then after the Duke game, I was like, great for Mitchell Evans, 100% awesome for him. He's fantastic. Should he really be the only guy? That's what we're looking at now. If Jordan Faison's your only guy, that you're a lot and, and a little bit of Chris Tyree, of course, but we're in a situation where they just need help there. So I, JB's point is right. Any Matt Salerno is good. Matt Salerno when you don't have a Matt Salerno. And, and well, John, 
John, uh, Marcus Freeman was was not just talking about Faison. He was talking about Great House and Flores as well. And Great House has kind of got lost amidst the the whole hamstring issue. Flores is is still out there. He had the most snaps last week, right, Tim? Did he not? Great, great house has had the most snaps most of the games, but yeah, Flores might have overtaken great house in the last game. Yeah. Yeah. JB, um, let's switch gears here and, and, and jump into what you and football scoop have been covering with Michigan, Michigan, of course, uh, convincing in a low scoring way, but a convincing victor over, over Penn state and Penn state at Penn state, uh, this past weekend, Michigan, I don't know, man. I I know they haven't played great great teams. It's not their fault. I guess the 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 non conference schedule is. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a little bit. No, but I mean within, <laughs> within the within the Big Ten. I mean they can't. It's not their fault that, that Penn State right. can't be a really good team. And Michigan State stinks. And yeah, that these teams should be better than they are. You're right. Iowa can't score and et cetera, et cetera. But John, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you a little bit to talk to us about talk to our listeners about the Michigan situation. You might we might even get to Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher being let go and the Mississippi State head coach after less than a season also fired. Yeah, I think probably the most significant thing in the entire scope of the of the Michigan scandal is the fact that the 13-page letter the Big 10 released last week that we wrote on very extensively at Football Scoop is one of the most damning uh, pieces of official documentation that we've ever seen uh, on any sort of scandal of this nature, particularly when you have it revealed um, that the brazenness of Michigan's cheating, the widespread nature of Michigan's cheating was so bad that the NCA literally broke precedence and involved the Big Ten office and notified other Michigan opponents um, because they viewed it as uh, so widespread and such a particular threat to the nature of true competition and sportsmanship. And so I I don't think that point can be hammered home enough. This was literally so egregious in the eyes of the NCAA that they called the Big Ten Conference and looped them in uh, and involved them in things rather than just notifying Michigan, you're under investigation for these allegations, and then took the extraordinary step of notifying then even other people to let them know um, that this was an issue and to let them know they needed to gird against um, the th- the true nature of competition um, being deceived by Michigan's scheme. So uh, Jim Harbaugh is amidst a three-game suspension. They're fighting for an injunction or temporary restraining order against that suspension. I imagine that the Big Ten right now, which hired outside legal counsel during this process to ensure that it could impose judgment as it deemed fit, will also be poised to make a counter move against Michigan. Uh, If that is indeed the case, um, certainly my boss at at Football Scoop thinks there's a great chance that Jim Harbaugh does not coach again at Michigan. I don't think there's very much chance whatsoever uh, that Jim Harbaugh in the way that we know this Michigan staff today will be there for the 2024 season. Yeah, the 24 season seems 100% out to me, just logically speaking. I mean, you could you could prove all this false and that's not going to happen for 2024 at this point. There is no, I just, the, the feeling of the emptiness of not coaching these final three games. I know it's, you want your head coach on game day, but he's still able to prepare his team. Yeah. I for think all these games, it's just a, it, it feels so much less than it could have been. I guess it's something. Um, well, well, again, I think the important thing to note is that 
Um, the Big Ten feels like it's acting as extensively as it is permitted to do so right now. This is yeah. not the only punishment that Michigan and Jim Harbaugh will receive. The NCAA still has its ability to step in, and, and now the NCAA moves at a pace that oftentimes make glaciers appear uh, speedy. But, again, the NCAA has broken its own precedence in this process to begin the be, to begin making sure Michigan absorbs some ramifications in the here and now. So will the NCAA continue uh, to behave in a proactive manner that we have never seen before? Uh, certainly, again, that letter, we have it linked on our website, 13 pages, official document from the Big Ten. You want to read every page of that letter because of how damning it is and how clear it lays bare the nature of Michigan's cheating. And, and the other thing I would point out is um, a line that I think we continue to hear Harbaugh making ridiculously stupid statements such as today claiming Michigan should be America's team for fighting through adversity. That letter pointed out Michigan didn't even deny the scheme in all of its filings with the Big Ten. Quote, they said, you're just seeking to delay accountability on this through technicalities. When In legalese, that's a smackdown. And, you know, over the weekend, like I, I heard Desmond Howard say that the SEC would never do this to Nick Saban and 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 uh, Kirby Smart. Um, what could you, John, could you speak to the significance of the Big Ten's teams, you know, involvement in the sharing of Michigan signs? And I, I mean, I assume that that was in response to what Michigan was doing to them and the rest of the Big Ten. The Big Ten. Well, look, we we just heard Marcus Freeman a few weeks ago as this uh, this topic was starting to to fully explode into the the overwhelming narrative throughout college football right now, saying we just assume our opponents have our signals stolen every week. And um, again, coaches are not mad about that. They're mad about uh, what I've labeled an almost uh, CIA level covert operation that's very expansive and very extensive for years long. Um, that Michigan has been doing with illegal in-person scouting and technologically scouting those games to gain an advantage as well. I want to make clear, I've known sign stealers through the years in the SEC. I know sign stealers, that's their Saturday roles right now on staffs around college football. Uh, Tim, you were a very accomplished baseball player. I liken it to the guy on second base trying to figure out what's coming and tipping the batter off. I know I was a very marginal baseball player and needed all the help with the curve that I could get. This is different than that. This is um, the the best I the best way I've heard it is from multiple coaches throughout the ACC, other coaches in the Big Ten, SEC. This isn't cheating. This is cheating the game. And I flat out had an SEC assistant coach tell me, dog, we'll cheat for a player, but we will not cheat the game. <laughs> this is why this is why you have um a galvanized faction of the overwhelming majority of college football um in in line against Michigan because th again this is cheating the game this truly could be a player safety issue this is truly um it it's knowing play. it's not just counting cards it's knowing what card is likely to come next in the deck Ahead, Tim. I hadn't thought about that as the player safety issue. Yeah, that that's a that's really is an interesting point. If you keep digging deep into that, I mean, if you know it's a toss, right? 
That's, you could really lay somebody out on a toss right when you absolutely know it's coming. Just think of Jeremiah Usu Karamoa reading the play, or maybe he knew it was coming against Travis Etienne. I mean, that could have been a biblical hit. And that, yeah, that's it is. Uh, all I know is I cannot believe I'm going to be in the situation of rooting for an undefeated Ohio State team to lay waste to Michigan. Yeah, in a couple Saturdays from now, because usually I have to like balance out my who do I not want in the playoff feelings. They are not America's team. Maryland and Ohio State are America's teams right now. <laughs> I need to not see that team in the playoff. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think America has gathered together to cheer for Michigan. I don't know no, where I'm saying they're gathering together yeah. to cheer for Maryland and Ohio State over these. Yeah, no, no, weeks. I know exactly. I'm, I'm. I'm discounting what Jim Harbaugh is trying to promote. Um, you know, and we're we're talking about more and more. We're seeing firings while the season is going on. I didn't mention. I mean, I mentioned. Jimbo Fisher at at Texas A&M and uh, the situation in Mississippi State. But Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator of Penn State, has been um, has been fired. Has he been reassigned or has he been fired, John? No, he's been fired. And also um, note that a few weeks ago, uh, among the very first to make a move was Arkansas firing Dan Enos as its offensive coordinator right after it lost the game seven to three to Mississippi State. So um, the carousel is more advanced than ever before. Uh, I can remember uh, even a couple of years ago with football scoop uh, flying home from visiting my God kids on Thanksgiving Sunday and sitting in the airport uh, because a bunch of hirings and firings were starting to really unfold that day. Uh, now here we are two weeks in front of it, a coach coming off a 51 to 10 win in Jimbo Fisher being fired because A&M felt it was time and didn't want to risk uh, having emotions change. If, Texas A&M somehow found a way to go eight and four. Zach Arnett taking over under tragic circumstances, but that athletics administration recognizing is just a really bad fit. Wasn't the AD that promoted him. And also he has a super cheap buyout in terms of the world of college football of less than $5 million uh, with offset figures included, with mitigation included, and a story we were able to break this morning on Football Scoop. Meanwhile, Texas A&M owes... Jimbo Fisher, a tidy $76.8 million. It's good, he got that, it's good he got that 0.8 because that extra 800000 is going to come in handy, I would think. They'll pay a lot of, uh, well, that won't pay very many taxes. That might pay his accountant, <laughs> however. <laughs> That's just amazing. By the way, Dan Enos, I had a calendar picture as a teenager of Chris Zorich throwing him to the ground in my room. That's the last time I really... Heavily that's, considered him. That's not the first time Enos has been fired, right? What it was that? Not, it is not the first time he's been fired. He was fired once before from Arkansas, and, and Pittman really put himself in a bind with this hire. Um, and then Enos is the guy that had a, a topsy-turvy run at Alabama, then was with Miami, Maryland, uh, a number of places. So, uh, yeah, he is, um, he's been bad news for some coaches through the years. Is Mike Elko at the top of A&M's list? Mike Elko is very high on the list um, and has a very reasonable buyout. Again, as we talk about the absurdity of these figures, Mike Elko uh, can buy out and leave his Duke contract for approximately $5 million, whereas a guy like Dan Lanning, whom I believe also is on Texas A&M's list, has a prodigious $20 million buyout to leave Oregon. I would also note very strongly Jeff Trailer. The UTSA coach, uh, he has a $7 million buyout. He has super deep Texas ties from the high school ranks on. He's been 
extraordinarily successful at UTSA. He's got, um, again, great respect from the high school coaches throughout the Lone Star State. We know how crazy that state is about its high school football. Uh, he's very much in it. And then had James Franklin won on Saturday, I believe he would have uh, been a very strong contender. And then Lane Kiffin also certainly lurking there in what could be unfolding at Texas A&M. I had my guess. If I had my pick there, I would send James Franklin to Texas A&M for the opener next week against Notre Dame. <laughs> next year. Next, next, year. Be next year against Notre Dame. And it would not be Mike Elko. It would not be the guy I would send over there if given the choice. I want to I want to uh, heretofore refer to James Franklin as the Vanderbilt miracle, because if you told me that's the same guy that led Vanderbilt to nine wins in the SEC, I don't know what happened since then. Well, yeah, he is um, he is very solid, but he has made uh, some really bad offensive coordinator hires. He's had a string of them. They've worked through some offensive coordinators from Kirk Siakaroka to uh, Mike Yurkich now. And, and here's a couple of times that Yurkich uh, has also um, failed to meet expectations. You know, nobody at Columbus was sad to see him go from Ohio State a couple of years ago when he left for Penn State. Um, and a lot of people wondered how much of the credit at Oklahoma State was Mike Gundy versus Mike Yurkich. And as these as time passes, it looks a lot more and more like Mike Gundy than it does Mike Yurkich. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with home field because their designs are the best out there. Some of Irish Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory March Tee, the script tee and the retro long sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com, filter by Notre Dame and see what we're talking about. There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or, or fan or a perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Notre Dame gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Homefield Apparel. Their designs are super unique, super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Homefield is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com. And again, use code Irish Illustrated for 15% off your first order. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, 
Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit Aerlingus.com to book today. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from Play Like a Champ 7. It's August 26, 2024. Irish Illustrated Podcast previews Marcus Freeman of the Fighting Irish heading to College Station to take on Texas A&M and new head coach blank. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question. That will um, be one of the preeminent openings in this college coaching carousel. Um, there still will be a couple more Power Five jobs that come open and some trickle down effects. But Texas A&M uh, is on the surface a very good job. When you examine it a little deeper, though, they've only had one season of double-digit wins since 1998, guys. One season of 10 or more wins in 25 years. They have not won a conference championship since 1998. Who will it be? Um, I would say Jeff Trailer is a strong, strong candidate. Mike Elko, certainly in that mix. Lane Kiffin in that mix. And then a, uh, a dark horse candidate that I find very intriguing is former AM star Aaron Glenn, who's the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Um, I'm very intrigued by his coaching ascension, but I think it will most likely come from one of those four guys. There could always be a, a dark horse candidate, but Jeff Trailer has a lot of traction already. And I frankly expect Jeff Trailer uh, to be coveted by Houston whenever it makes a move, which is coming sooner rather than later on Dana Holgerson. Before I kick it to you, Priester, I, I do wonder why uh, John did not include names I was looking for, like Clay Helton, for this, for that <laughs> opening game with Notre Dame, and just maybe see gonna, if it's the right call. Just take a shot and work, hire somebody and see if you can beat Notre Dame. I was going to say R.C. Slocum. Yeah. <laughs> who was a, who was a, was a great coach for Texas. Really, really a, a quality coach. That When, when Notre Dame played a and in back-to-back years yeah. in bowl games, man, there was a ton of talent on the field, both sides, and uh, Notre Dame ended up whipping them in one of those games. But we had the 24-21 Kevin Pendergast game-winning field goal um, to win one of those games, and and he was a great coach. And they have not been able to, they've not been able to find their RC Slocum since uh, since those days. Question from Rye Guy 0917: Do you believe Marcus Freeman? already knows if he's moving on or not from Jared Parker as offensive coordinator. If so, would there be any major benefits of doing it before in the end of the regular season, as opposed to waiting until after the season? What's your, what's your perspective on that, John? I don't think Marcus Freeman has, has made up his mind in that regard yet whatsoever. Um, I think that there have been a number of um, befuddling things about this season for Notre Dame in a variety of areas, but most glaringly on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's been a much more difficult transition uh, than perhaps many expected for Sam Hartman going from that tempo rhythm Wake Forest offense to a far more traditional pro style at times overly plotting Notre Dame offense. Um, But I don't think that there's anything sealed about Jared Parker at this point. And I do believe that when Jared Parker ascended to the offensive coordinator role in February of this year that he earned a three-year deal at that time. Uh, and I know that it's a seven-figure deal, so there is uh, some significance to that component as well. Um, but but I would point out, um, as people ask questions about Gino Gadulli's involvement and other things, uh, I'm, I'm quite confident in saying 
there is great dialogue among this offensive staff, and, and particularly on uh, Dillon, Chancey, Gino. Those guys meet every Sunday and formulate the game plan together. This is not uh, any sort of dictatorship. This is very much, what do you like? Why do you like it? Let's talk about it. You believe in it. Stand on the table. Stand on the table. Let's put it in the game plan. If it's in the game plan, let's find a way to use it. Um, there are a, a, perhaps some more RPO options in the uh, game plan than what I'd realized um, as I talked to some folks over this most recent bye week. Um, but no, uh, that's a long-winded way, I guess, of saying I don't at all think Marcus Freeman has made up his mind. I don't think he's made up his mind either um, with less knowledge here than JB. I want to use some logic, though. When you hired Jared Parker, you had to know there would be weaknesses in hiring a first-time offensive coordinator. Some of those have maybe been heightened more than you would have guessed, perhaps, with the inability to find some answers against the better defenses. I think for those logically asking this question, it can be asked for me because of, and this, this I don't ever like to talk about one football Saturday because it doesn't mean anything, but the Clemson game on the heels of Louisville and other games where, and Duke where the offense did not click. Uh, Duke and Louisville, they struggled a lot on offense and won and lost the game. So on the heels of that, but you're playing great football again as a team in the complimentary football fashion we're all talking about. You're coming off really your best moments as a football team there with the Pittsburgh win, the bye week, USC. To have a fallback like that is the first time I looked down and thought, what is fundamentally wrong here? Other than execution is obviously a big problem. And when I say execution, people are going to say, oh, you're blaming the players. I am blaming the coach and the players because you, the coaches are supposed to allow the players to execute by knowing what they do best in week 10. That would be my major complaint with Parker and the whole offense. You should absolutely know what your guys can do best by week 10. Whereas when in week three, when you didn't, he adjusted beautifully against North Carolina State when he didn't know what his team did best. Yeah. yeah and I, well, I don't buy the, I, Tim, I totally agree with the execution is the res- that is part of the re- that's the responsibility of the coordinator and, well, and the and the play i mean players are involved the play- too no, I mean, there's some both. players that were it's terrible both. on tape against clemson just horrible on against clemson and i would i would contend um one of and, and i'm not going into blame or bash players but look in the age of nil when players are making a lot of money there's a bit more scrutiny that they're opened up to in my opinion than when the, the game yeah. was perceived as being truly uh, played by amateurs and coached by professionals. I think that's an element of it. I think it's impossible to ignore the fact that the Sam Hartman basically played almost turnover-free football and didn't throw a pick through six games. Since then, has thrown seven interceptions in around his last 113 pass attempts. Uh, he's locked onto receivers and then not thrown the ball. He's missed some throws. Uh, execution is top down um, for sure, and they've all got to be better. One more thing that I uh, I believe in this whole evaluation of Jared Parker uh, that's an underlying theme but that is an undeniable theme is that Notre Dame in a lot of ways botched the offensive coordinator search uh, when it couldn't nail down Andy Ludwig nor Colin Klein. By the time Jared Parker got it, he was um, fighting a perception battle that did not lend itself to give him any benefit of the doubt going into this season. Yeah, I I I grow weary of the blame game at this time of year, and I and I don't like the the pitting of Notre Dame versus Notre Dame that the defense is great and the offense is bad and blame them and like we are we in the industry are constantly getting 
tortured for the message that that we give, you know, kill the whole kill the messenger kind of thing. And it's how many times have we talked about this game is not it's not it's 11 on 11. It can't be one thing. I mean, it is it is Sam Hartman. It is the offensive coordinator. It is the wide receivers. It is the offensive line when you're not protecting Sam Hartman at Clemson. It, it's always going to be a combination of these things. And the blame game really gets very old, or we will be accused of not blaming one side enough and blaming too much of the other or vice versa. It's, it is the tight ends that everybody wanted to play ahead of Mitchell Evans because he was missing the Central Michigan game and hadn't done anything yet and then became Notre Dame's best football player on offense. Think about that. I had a comment. Somebody came up to me in our press box and told me Mitchell Evans sitting out is going to get Wally pipped in the Central Michigan game. A colleague. He's going to get Wally pipped. He's the best player on Notre Dame's offense. Well, excuse me. Second best player on Notre Dame's offense by a wide margin. And and he's an NFL talent. He's proved himself. He will absolutely have a chance to play in the NFL. And his football IQ, I think, as much as they miss his physical skills right now, Mitchell Evans' football IQ is desperately missed, in my opinion, right now. Desperately. Right, which is why he played right from the very beginning. And then that's not even talking about his his role in the in the run fit, the the block the blocking aspect of the 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 running game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, if you didn't I, I'm not saying that he's Michael Mayer, but if you put a different number on him when he was playing his best football, there really wasn't a whole lot of difference, was there? He made all the catches, he's he's longer, he's faster. He's a he's a hell of a football player and a, and a huge miss. But the whole the the constant we're not blaming one side enough over the other. We're always going to point to a combination combination of things because that's the game of football. That's how it's played. I want I want to throw one thing in because this is really my overlying point when people just want to fire coaches and coordinators. It's very easy for fans to want to fire a coordinator because they figure all these guys we have on the team must be good, so it's the coordinator's fault. Notre Dame could have a better offensive coordinator than Jared Parker. That is true. They could find a better offensive coordinator. They could have had a better offensive coordinator. There's a better offensive coordinator in the world somewhere than Jared Parker, the first-year coordinator. But just bringing in a coordinator is not going to make these tight ends play better and this quarterback play better and these wide receivers play better to the point where you're going to be happy about it. And if I could just leave it with this one last point for for the rush. And again, the evaluation is still ongoing. I think we all want and need to see more from Jared Parker in this offense these last two games of the season, last three games of the season. But let me point out an undeniable fact, especially as Marcus Freeman acknowledged today that Notre Dame will go back into the transfer portal and seek a quarterback via that route. Presumably, Notre Dame would like to get a quarterback that could come in and start right away next year. Certainly will compete for the job. Regardless, Notre Dame will have a brand-new starting quarterback next year. I'm not convinced – that a brand new starting quarterback with a third different offensive coordinator in each of Marcus Freeman's three years of head coaching is the best avenue for Notre Dame. Moreover, you're looking at what would be, what is going to be the fourth different starting quarterback for all four years that Marcus Freeman has been at Notre Dame when you dial it back to the fact that Jack Cohn was the starter in 21 and Marcus Freeman's season as defensive coordinator. So um, I'm not making excuses for anybody. I am saying – There's merit to continuity. There needs to be some semblance of continuity, whatever form or shape that takes. And you look at the NFL, they do not look 
and and they have free agency and they can hire and fire and do all this stuff. Franchises want stability at some key positions, and there's not stability right now at Notre Dame, especially if you go into a third season with a third different offensive coordinator and guaranteed to have a third different starting quarterback. I'm going to throw out this question now, and I think we've addressed it, uh, and it's easy to overlook, but it's a question from Starshooter. Is there any chance Jared Parker just handling tight end coaching again and hiring another OC? Tim, explain why that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem because you only can have so many coaches. Uh, that would mean that another offensive coach would have to move on for Notre Dame uh, for that to happen. I mean, obviously, or they could hire Gino Gadulli or Deal McCullough as their offensive coordinator, but I don't think that's the direct that's not the direction they're going to go. So if Parker is just the tight ends coach, that would mean someone like McCullough would get an NFL deal that he couldn't turn down. I mean, we know Dylan McCullough likes the NFL. If he were to get a great NFL job, he would, he would go for that. That's fine. But then, but then your OC would have to be the running backs coach. Then your OC would have to be the like, running backs coach. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. actually, I'm sure Jared Parker can coach running backs as well. But I'm saying your OC would have to be it, – it's hard to finagle it. Um, it's, it's hard to finagle this just by saying, well, he's done a good job with Mitchell Evans. Let's hang on and then go that route because – you at least have to, and I keep saying McCullough because he's just the most likely to, if he yeah. gets a great NFL offer, I think he would take it. Yeah. Or or I would not, absolutely would not discount Dylan McCullough as a head coaching candidate, particularly in the MAC. And um, people indicate to us at Football Scoop, there will definitely be multiple MAC openings that are expected coming up in this cycle. Yeah, it's funny how we... You know, when the when the defense really started to take off this year, you start saying, well, L. Golden's second year, how important it is to have that continuity. But you don't hear too many people defending Jared Parker about other than JB here pointing it out. I mean, and there's truth to it. You know, the the, the notion of continuity as people look at Jared Parker isn't uh, generally isn't very appealing. And yet. You know. I mean, Sam Hartman is still 26 in the country in pass efficiency and Notre Dame's scoring offense is still up there. But of course they did a lot of that against inferior competition. I did a story, you know, I mean, fairly recently that what they've done offensively against the better defenses is not good enough. I, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter if a, if a, a team is holding, you know, opponents to 16 points a game, you can't score 14 or 17 or 20 or 23. It's not enough. You got to be better than that if you're the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And I, I think, honestly, in fairness to fans, like the ones that didn't believe us where we said they need Al, that we were going on in January, they need Al Golden to come back for a second year. You can't have a fourth coordinator and a fourth linebacker coach for these linebackers in their next year. It was an easier sell for some fans to listen to because Golden had one bad game last year. I mean, <laughs> if you couldn't get past the one game where he didn't coach a great game, then, I mean, that's your fault as a fan. You're never going to be happy. So that was an easier sell than it would be for Parker now because even if Notre Dame goes out and kills Wake Forest and Stanford, unless it's LSU in the bowl game, it's going to be hard to sell compared to compared to Al Golden, I think. If you're just looking at the fan base, that I understand why it would be a hard sell. Well, and again, I'll just uh, reiterate that, that Parker was done no favors because of how the search unfolded. Uh, totally agree. He was he was he was up against it right from the very beginning. It would have been it would have taken a perfect season. He was off to a good start. I mean, I think that he were open minded, but all it all it took was one game, and that was Ohio State game that o O'Malley and I thought was. I thought they were fine and, yeah. and and done well. Uh, we're not going to change our minds on that, nor are people that were against it uh, going to change their minds on that either. But it was it was all it was all part of the the tone of the game, the direction of the game. And it, 
it would have worked out well had the defense made a play down the stretch or had the right amount of people on the field, et cetera. In terms of looking at uh, antiquated stats, Tim, let's remember not to do it anymore because Notre Dame has the 16th ranked scoring offense. And do you know who number 15 is directly in front of them? The Penn State Nittany Lions, who have the worst offense I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay, there we go. That's, that's Have you not one. watched Iowa this year? <laughs> oh, no, I don't watch Iowa. I make it a rule not to do those things. So I watched Penn State twice. And the worst. I'm just going to say they're the worst offense I've ever seen. And I've only watched them play twice. There you go. And it was the two big games. They stink. Well, you're sparing your retinas by not watching <laughs> Iowa. We got a couple questions here back to back. One from Denver Maximus. What type of game do you expect from Sam Hartman to have against Wake Forest? And then from Kaiser Wilhelm. Sam Hartman has had a bad pattern this year of underperforming against teams he lost to while at Wake Forest. How worried should we be about the psychological factor of him playing against longtime friends and teammates? I don't know that that held up against everybody, right? NC State? Not NC State, yeah. Yeah. Um, He hadn't played well against NC State, and they scored 45. Well, he had played incredible against Clemson. He scored six touchdowns. He threw six touchdown passes the last time. There's a little, there's got to be a psychological factor for Hartman playing against Wake. There always was going to be, and I think there would have been if he was a Heisman candidate. This is a tough, it's a weird game for him. I actually asked Marcus Freeman that and uh, probably didn't ask it correctly because he. I asked about how Sam Hartman can help them with the scouting, of course, of Wake Forest offense, but also it's a, it's a r- unique week for Hartman. It's a strange thing for the way Hartman's playing now. I could see him pressing in this game if he doesn't get off to a good start. But these are also much more elite athletes, Sam Hartman experience compared to what we're. He's not an 18 year old college kid that's playing against his dad or something like that. I mean, this is a, he should be able to handle this. And I, I, uh, I get it, but come on. Yeah. And, and look, this is a guy that was voted a Notre Dame team captain in the preseason. You have to believe that his teammates very much want this game and want him to shine in this game as well. And Wake's not that good. That's a very big thing. Uh, for I, I was just, I, I was just going to talk about the the Wake Forest defense, and I, you know, I mean, little things. I would imagine they 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 know how they want to, how they want to execute their pass rush against Sam Hartman. Uh, you know, based upon tendencies and escape routes and things like that. They do have a couple people. Jasheen Davis, number thirty, their defensive end, puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They have a linebacker by the name of Jacob Roberts, puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're not very big, though. They're not big up front on uh, on defense. And with the loss of um, uh, Donovan Green at wide receiver in the preseason, I, I know I'm switching away from Sam Hartman going against the defense, but it's a, other than Jamal Banks, it's a pretty small receiving core as well. But, I, I you know, I think this is a game Notre Dame can run the football uh, against Wake Forest, and that should – should make things a little bit easier for Sam Hartman, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like playing Wake Forest will impact him a little bit. I, I don't think that he, I mean, we've talked about this. He doesn't, he doesn't have full faith in the wide receivers. He'd probably feel better if he was throwing to the Wake Forest whiteouts, eh, maybe from last year. Cause they had AT Perry there as well. But As long as he doesn't say that this week, I think we're cool. And yeah, I don't think he will. Go bad. Yeah. I don't think he will. <laughs> Next question is from ND1012. Will Notre Dame consider undergraduate wide receivers in the portal based on the performance of their wide receivers this season? Yeah, look, let's let's be clear. I, yes, I think that's the case. Um, but I also think you have to look at, at sort of Notre Dame's limitations within that. My understanding is Notre Dame can either take graduate transfers via the portal or it can take guys that uh, are just in their first year and can still basically enroll 
as freshmen or first year players. So um, they can look at that for sure. Um, but they're guys that would have to get into Notre Dame under standard auspices. Yeah, yep. that's difficult. I mean, Notre Dame has not overcome that hurdle yet. Uh, and it's still just like you say, JB, I mean, a, a, a young, a, a young guy, a freshman or, or a graduate assistant or a, a graduate student. And, and, you know, I think you're also, I mean, I feel like they're also trending toward feeling good about the whiteouts they're recruiting. Michael Gilbert's had a sensational senior year. Cam Williams is rated higher than him, but I think Notre Dame feels great about Gilbert. Saldati has had a tremendous senior season as well. And then you couple them with the, the freshmen that they have, the three that we are talking about in terms of, of, uh, of great house and floors and phase on. I don't know where Braylon James will fit in, but we're mentioning a bunch of names here with most of the receivers still coming back and maybe Chris Tyree as well. I don't know how deep they would want to go into, you know, the transfer portal, but at least one, at least one. I mean, I, I well, think at least, at least two. At, yes. least, at least one and probably two What was what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah and, and sorry for uh, speaking over either of you gentlemen. Uh, let's not forget, they did go to the portal for a receiver last year, and Caleb Smith never never made it to, to summer camp or anything. So it's not like Notre Dame ignored that a year ago. It went out and found a guy that they thought would be a good fit and fit what they could do to get people uh, via the portal at that position, and it just did not work out. With the three freshmen coming in, and the reality that Notre Dame now has five freshmen on their current team because of Faison and KK Smith, you can have, you can have, if Tyree comes back, 12 wide receivers without the portal. There is no way Notre Dame doesn't have transfers out of its wide receiver room this offseason. No yeah. chance. They will yeah. every year for the rest of our lives, and they usually do every year without the portal. It's yeah. just, it's a high vol, it's a high transfer position. And there's a lot of, uh, excitement about the uh development the ongoing development of kk um he has been somebody that uh, they really are continuing to see more and more out of and believe he can have a really strong future for this program i have a question for you guys if i said notre dame is going to next year with their freshman from this year and their freshman from next year plus Jaden thomas is their main is that's their wide receiver core what, what, well, well, what um, you can Tobias Merriweather well, well, can be on the team all the all you want. I mean, do you that's what you think it's a strong core? I, well, no, no. I mean, okay. No. Well, then they have to get a transfer. They well, have I, to did, get, I yeah, said yeah, at did. least one and probably two. What? No, I agree. I'm saying I'm pointing out they absolutely have to do this. It's not like when I'm you know they, you can't rely on on these young guys to be well, so I, good. I, they're I, just I, not I, yet. I, but my point is, I think that they're building in that direction. Right. But yeah, they need they need to bring. They need to bring help in, you know, uh, Caleb Smith, the older of the two uh, would have given them stability at boundary receiver would have given you some more options with, with uh, Jaden Thomas. Of course, the injury is precluded from him really doing anything this year, which is a huge blow. I, I you know, I, I don't, Sam Hartman doesn't have a lot of, uh, of faith and confidence in chemistry with whiteouts. But he would have with Jaden Thomas. I, I I feel pretty strongly about that, and that and he was the leader of the whiteout core, and that would have maybe stabilized a few things. But no, whatever whatever it takes. If it takes three, then go get three. It's just that it, like you say, Tim, they're going to have to. There's going to have to be a little bit of attrition then if you're going to go deeper into the transfer transfer portal. 
Next question from JP Wirt 70. Do you think the Irish are in good shape on the offensive line for 2024 or will they try to find a couple of veterans in the portal there? Uh, JB, this is hard. This is yeah, hard. JP. I mean, because I, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't be against adding a, an established tackle. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to really, probably work with your guards and center at this situation. Yeah. You have at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, Notre Dame went into this season very much believing it was uh, likely to lose both of its starting tackles. Um, and the way the season has unfolded, um, I think there's a belief that won't be the case now. Um, I know they're very encouraged um, by the younger guys coming up. We've talked about Ashton Craig, Billy Shrouth. There's extreme optimism about Charles Jagasa, uh, Sam Pendleton. So, yeah, you want experience, especially, again, because you're going to have a brand-new starting quarterback next year. So um, you have to look at your roster. You have to see what you can feasibly get from the transfer portal. Um, I had a a Big Ten coach and an ACC coach tell me here recently um, that they were looking at a defensive lineman who had gone into the portal and the defensive lineman told both these coaches the same thing. Coach, I'm looking to be developed, and I'm looking to get paid. Here's what this school is offering me in terms of pay. Where are you at in terms of pay? That's the reality right now, and that is not a marketplace that Notre Dame has uh, particularly been wading itself into. So, again, there are extenuating circumstances, but when you go into what's going to be a pivotal year in this Notre Dame football program, if you can add experience at any of these key positions via the portal, you have to do so. You also have to figure out how many of those 31 players that Marcus Freeman said will will uh, participate in senior day this weekend, how many of those guys are, are truly playing their final game or their final home game. Tim, the difference for me is if you were to say to me, when we're talking about offensive linemen, if you were to say Notre Dame's these wide receivers in the portal and they are looking at three guys from FCS that were extremely productive their teams this guy scored 14 touchdowns this different guy had 80 catches a different guy had 21 yards of catch i'd be like awesome get him in here let's see if they can do it if you said notre dame's looking at a group of five starting tackle to come in and try to compete to be the new left tackle at notre dame i'd be very concerned with that situation i agree i agree i think the positions require a different approach to it uh totally agree i'm yeah i'm talking about an established right Power five offensive tackle. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. And you do, and I think that's a great point that you bring up. You do look at it differently, like with skill position guys, um, you know, that you, I mean, look, if you can run and you've proven you can catch yeah. the football, I mean, it the, the translate and you're smart enough to handle, you know, coverages and stuff like that, then, uh, then go for it. Absolutely. We have a long question here from Irish John M. Bear with me. The question is, is it possible that Notre Dame's offensive struggles against the better defenses on their schedule and in five of the past six games can be laid solely at the feet of the offensive line, that their poor play has caused Hartman's accuracy issues, the wide receivers to struggle to get open and catch passes, plus are tied to the inability to score points and convert on third down. Is it possible that the lack of offensive productivity is not mainly due to Parker's play calling or lack of or lack of execution by the skilled players? I would have to remove the word solely right away, solely completely. There's never solely involved here. I think the offensive line has an odd pass um, from the fan base this year because I do believe they are not better against the best teams they've played, uh, and that's all that merely matters. They did not protect Hartman against Louisville. 
they did not win the battle against Clemson. But oh, when you watch that Clemson film, there was some stuff there for Notre Dame that was more on Sam Hartman than it was on the offensive line or anything come close to play calling. So I think it's everything. If you were to give a pass to any group this year, aside from pass protection against Clemson, in which the running backs really colossally struggled against Jeremiah Trotter, Priester's guy, I think the running backs have performed well this season. And I I actually am the only guy in the world that wasn't mad when they were taking Estime out to give Price and Love some uh some series, even though SV was playing well, I just think those guys are all three are good. And I think that's how you should use them. And it didn't work out. And as Freeman points out, if you're going to have a bunch of three and outs, you're not getting anything done. You can, your rotation looks a lot worse when you have a three and out. I hadn't, I did not have a problem there. I think every other position is heavily involved other than running back. I, I think if we're going to talk uh, and, and we asked Marcus Freeman this question today about complimentary football and how good it's been and some of Notre Dame's biggest wins noteworthy USC and Pittsburgh where those where Notre Dame just seized control really by feeding off of all three phases I think when you look at the offensive breakdowns it's complementary within that you can't pinpoint a single thing because every element of the offense has had breakdowns that have contributed to failure from the quarterback to the O-line to the coordinator to the receivers to the running backs although the running backs more infrequently than any other group to your point yeah, there's no running back rotation when you're play, when you're going three and out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, it's just yeah. the one. I think people are just. It's a fun thing to complain about because Estime started great, but trust me, if Estime ran to the line and got stuffed three more times than he did, you'd say, "Well, where the hell is Jadarian Price? Why isn't Jeremiah Love playing?" It, That's it, a hard one. That I don't no, have a problem I, with their I, usage I, there. I totally agree, and it was fluctuating back and forth between public sentiment through the first half of the year about stuff like that. Then when Estime's not playing, well, why is SMA not in when SMA is only getting three yards. Why don't you give the ball to the home run hitter? Why don't <laughs> yes. you move? Why don't you move love to, to wide receiver? You know, these are real human beings. You can't just keep throwing something new at them all the time and expect them to play and execute to a high level. It is that complex of a game that you have to give a player a chance to gain some stability as to what you're teaching him and what position he's playing. And I, oh, I have no problem about his estimates performance. I'm just saying that other guys are good too. Go ahead, oh, John. Yeah. No, no, I was yeah. just going to say, oh, you that that sounds an awful lot like consistency to me, yeah. Tim. Right. <laughs> in execution, yes, exactly. And in an approach. But a question from Mr. Joe Seiler. Who is the most likely slash realistic starter at center in 2024? Is it Ashton Craig? Is it Pat Coogan? Someone else? I thought Craig held his own when he had to come in against Clemson. But I think Coogan has trained there too. We've kind of walked on this question already. It's not someone else, though. We could say it's probably Ashton Craig not or Pat Coogan else. going back. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think probably Ashton Craig. I think that's the belief. He performed uh, very admirably when thrust into a difficult situation at Clemson. I think might have been among Notre Dame's highest graded offensive linemen in that game against Clemson. Uh, I think there's extreme optimism about the future with Ashton Craig. And there's um, obviously Pat Coogan has proved he's got a spot along that offensive line as well. What do you do? Then you have Shrouth and Spindler. You've got four, you got four potential starting guys for three spots. Does one of them, can you battle it out? Does does Spindler become a swing guy? Um, Does, does, does Shrouth, you're right. They battle it out. I don't think, I don't think anybody on that offensive line exits this season 
with a guaranteed starting job next year, um, with the exception of Blake Fisher would be Blake a starter. Um, but again, there's going to be competition and nobody along that interior is going to be shielded from competition. And I think you want competition um, because you, especially as your coach says, he wants to be offensive and defensive line driven. It's not ideal, but if you want your five best on the field and Billy Strouth is at fifth, do you try to fit him at tackle? I'm I'm not, I, I don't I, know with Wagner and Baker. I mean, is Baker back? Is Baker good? And is Baker quick enough to play left tackle all year? And as JB mentioned, Jagasaw, a guy Jagasaw. that they would like to, they're actually entering into a pretty good situation in terms of offensive linemen that they like. It's just a matter of finding. Where's, except for yeah. Joel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd prefer loving four and liking one as opposed to liking nine. It would just be, it'd be great to love four of them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think Coogan's shown enough that you, you keep him at guard. Craig is, Craig's a natural center there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've heard a really, really not just not just last year, but we've heard some really positive feedback on him. And again, and Marcus Freeman pointed out that he thought he played well against Clemson. Now, by that point, it was mostly pass pass pro. But, you know, I mean, that's a good starting point for him. But he's going to be a good football player. Loved his high school film, thought he had a lot, had thought he had a good future here at Notre Dame. And it appears to be heading in that that direction. But I would imagine that. He will be the guy that's the starting center next year. We're going to wrap up with a question from Bob 4ND3. Does Sam Hartman play in the bowl game? And when does Marcus Freeman find out if Steve Angeli or Kenny Minchie can really lead this team next year? I say yes. And second part answer is March and April. When they are battling a more experienced veteran quarterback that's come in from the portal, it is likely to start. (laughs) I think uh, bowl prep uh, really jumpstarts things for those guys. I think it's an incredible time, um, but it's not anything that's going to be uh, decided in the next six weeks or the remainder of this calendar year or anything like that. Well, I'm wondering if the question is being asked so that, you know, one or two or whatever play in the next couple games. Again, that is not. That is not, I mean, that's just not what coaches do. You don't, Notre Dame has a chance to win 10 games in Marcus Freeman's second year. You're not just going to just roll the dice. And if you lose, you lose. But Angeli got playing time. That doesn't mean he's going to be ready to be a starter next year if he has success against Wake Forest or Stanford. I know that's the start of the process, but um, I, I just, it's just not the way college football programs handle this sam hartman needs to play in the bowl game for the benefit of his nfl career does he not yeah but i also feel like this needs to be said tim i completely agree with you that's not going to happen that's not what coaches do but if steve angeli or kenny minchie was great and sam hartman threw three picks in the first half against wake forest they would come in the game i think the bottom line is the coaches don't think they're anywhere near as good as sam hartman yeah Yeah. i think yeah you know scenario I mean, best case scenario in all of this discussion to me is Notre Dame explodes early and gets to get those guys significant playing time again, much as they did against Pittsburgh, and not only gets them into the game to do some handoffs, but gets them into the game and lets them execute the offense. That's the key. It's not just getting into the game and mop-up duty. They have to be put into game situations to execute the offense, but you don't sacrifice your opportunity to win and to salvage this season and the message that it would send to the rest of your team if you thought you were basically experimenting with guys. I think at the positions. 
I think def- I think the Stanford defense is more likely to be the one that Notre Dame uh, hits early and and pulls away, and then you have some opportunities with your younger quarterbacks. I just I I just sense that Wake Forest. And they're not very good. I mean, this is this is they're they're struggling. Uh, Dave Clawson has fallen on the sword multiple times uh, as to his responsibility, especially last week against NC State, where they didn't compete to win at all. They didn't score till midway through the fourth quarter. They were down twenty-one nothing at halftime. Uh, um, but I think defensively, Wake Forest will find a way to hang in there. Maybe partially because they know a little bit about Sam Hartman. I think the opportunity the opportunities for the younger quarterbacks would more likely come at Stanford. Uh, do you guys think Hartman will play in the bowl game like I do? I do. I'd I say think they win their next two games, so it's a decent. Yeah, I think I think it's in. It's all about. It's all about impressing the NFL at that point, and he has a lot of impressing he still needs to do. If it's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how impressive it would be if he tore apart the LSU defense because their defense has struggled mightily, but no, I think it's I would important. be, I would be impressed if he tears apart the LSU defense, because that would make the business aspect of my job for the next nine months tolerable instead of absolute hell for <laughs> 270 straight days. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, look, Hartman in this pro style system that has been so foreign to him needs all the experience and repetition that he can get. I would expect him to uh, be advised to play the bowl game, and I would expect him to um, be hopeful that he can get the senior bowl invite as well. That's going to be – that's – I mean, I don't know exactly who's going to be. Do we already know who's going to be at senior bowl? No, they're, they're still rolling some of those out. They're yeah. not done. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to see. We're, when we come back on Thursday for our uh, Irish Illustrated Insider on Thursday – November 16th, we'll get more into Wake Forest. I know we'll have more questions along the lines of coordinators coming and who's going and who's uh, who's at fault. I, I know we're going to get plenty of uh, uh, who's at fault, but I do think that it's a pretty good matchup for Nordham coming up this week, and it would be victory number uh, eight on the season, which would keep that 10-victory season alive heading into Stanford and then the, the bowl game. JB, thanks for joining us today. You will be hearing more of John Bryce on Irish Illustrated Insider. Tim O'Malley, thank you. And until the next time, Thursday, November 16th, when we preview Wake Forest, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>